Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome in to the Prospect Podcast. I am Chris Trapasso. Flying solo again. Gave Matt the week off. Just told him, Matt, I'm going to record this week. Again, too much going on on the free agent front with the Minnesota Vikings and really everything else with the league for Matt to jump on. It's always nice when he's my guest and he's my regular guest. So a week off for him was well-deserved and it's really needed for him at this point. I'm going to finish today with the end of the quarterback conversation series. And I have one quarterback left to talk about. Trevor Lawrence, the anointed one from that national title game at the end of the 2018 season when he was a freshman and Clemson completely dismantled a juggernaut of an Alabama team. He was anointed whenever he enters the draft, he will be the number one overall pick. And for a quick summary, I thought last year he started off looking like that classic super hyped quarterback prospect that has a down season in his second year or after that super hype season finished pretty strong uh, or after a slow start, he rebounded, I guess against LSU. He didn't necessarily play that well against that ridiculous LSU team from a season ago. And then in his final season, there was a lot of thought like, Hey, is he going to start off slow again? What type of quarterback are we going to see? Is he going to live up to those lofty standards? And I think he did. I think he played better than he did in 2018. He looked like a quarterback that had already two full years of starting experience at a power five conference school did not have nearly the amount of skill position talent around him or the offensive line. Clemson's defense wasn't as good. And I thought when Trevor Lawrence was on the field, they were a distinctly better team. So I think he lived up to the hype and that's why we are seeing, you know, him being penciled into the Jacksonville Jaguars at number one overall. He is my number one quarterback. He's my number one overall player in this draft class. And I, If you listened to the last episode, all about bias, I I really went into all of my quarterback evaluations that I normally do first. And I did that this season or this pre-drift season, uh, grading them first, went in to just say, hey, like, let's just forget about all the games that I've seen. Don't think about that and go into this like this is any old quarterback and all of the categories that I grade. Trevor Lawrence came out on top. I'm going to open this up on my computer quick. I should have had this open already. Um, The 
just again, I like peeling back the curtain. I, I like being as transparent as possible. The five categories that I scout at the quarterback spot that are in my grading system weighed from most important to least important. And there's not a huge disparity in each of the categories weight, but the fifth or the first category weighs about three times as much as the final category. And I talked with Matt about this on previous podcasts that I was certainly had to go back at the beginning of this pre-draft process and think, okay, like what skills have changed in terms of what teams want and need at the quarterback spot um, and who can, like, what can you succeed with in today's NFL? Who are the quarterbacks that are succeeding? What are they doing? What are they really good at? What doesn't matter as much? Number one, I think is still accuracy. I think at the end of the day, if you cannot throw an accurate football um, in the NFL level, you're going to struggle. So accuracy is still most important. I actually moved athleticism and improvisation to number two. Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, to a certain degree, Kyler Murray, I don't think he's lived up to number one overall pick hype, but he can certainly create Patrick Mahomes. I don't know how I forgot about him. Uh, they are setting a new standard of athleticism at the quarterback spot, and they have showed what you need to do uh, or, or what can be done with a quarterback that has that creativity outside of the pocket. After that, pocket management, I still think that is important. That's kind of the old school thing that Tom Brady, the Drew Brees, the Peyton Manning, uh, moving inside the pocket away from pressure. And I call it pocket management because sometimes you feel a blitzer coming from your blind side and you need to just get outside the pocket and throw it into the flat or find your hot read after you reverse your field behind the line of scrimmage. It's not just if a quarterback can drift inside the pocket away from pressure, which is really what I thought was a pretty good indicator of a very NFL ready quarterback prospect three, four, five years ago. I don't think you need to be that great of a pocket drifter anymore, but just having the awareness and the natural navigation skills inside the pocket, I think is important after that arm strength. Uh, Matt's brought up a good point in the past that like, if you don't have the arm strength, that's kind of like, if you can't throw the ball hard enough or far enough, you're not going to make it in the NFL. But most of the guys that you're watching and scouting do have NFL caliber arms. I don't think it's vital. I think it's almost a bonus, which is why it would be the fourth most uh, highest weighted category when I'm scouting quarterbacks and field reading. Just like getting through your reads. Again, that used to be something that was vital. That used to be, I think, the second or third category that I had. And it is pretty kind of difficult to see on film. I think there are times where it's pretty obvious that a quarterback is moving um, from one read to another read. But a lot of times it's really not um, that easy to see. But that's not why it's the fifth most weighted category. It's just because I think with RPOs and how smart offensive coordinators are today, scheming up open receivers on that first read and then that improvisation ability, I don't think you need to be inside the pocket, drifting away from pressure, going first read, second read, third read, fourth read, and getting it out like quarterbacks did in the 90s and the 2000s and really into the 2010s to the last couple of seasons. So Trevor Lawrence came out on top, uh, and he's a pretty, he has a pretty sizable lead on Zach Wilson, believe it or not. And I was happy that I did all of my quarterback grades before 
all of the hype started up and I had Justin Fields at number three, like he and Zach Wilson were very close. I watched them both again and Zach Wilson came out in front and that was when Zach Wilson was like, Oh, maybe he'll go like in the middle of the first round or somewhere in the twenties. And now it's like, he's number two overall. So that was one of the earliest, uh, or I think Trevor Lawrence was actually one of the last that I watched, but I watched quarterbacks before anything else. Number one overall player on my draft board. But I promised I'm going to run him through the same ringer that I did with Zach Wilson. How could things go wrong for Trevor Lawrence, presumably, in Jacksonville? That's what this podcast is going to be dedicated to. Uh, and it's probably an easy answer. I'm not trying to be lazy with this. It's just really how I think um, things could ultimately go pretty poorly. It has to do with pressure. And that's what I said for Zach Wilson. I think that is the number one thing that you need to see how a young quarterback performs once they get to the NFL level. I don't care if it is the number one overall pick, if it is a third rounder, if it's Gardner Minshew getting drafted in the sixth round or an undrafted player. You normally can see if they can really play if they're good under pressure to start. And we saw that from Justin Herbert. He had the highest quarterback rating under pressure this season. And no, from season to season, it is not as stable as throwing from a clean pocket. But I think at times, even if a young quarterback, a rookie, comes onto a team and a few games in, they're blocking well for him, the offensive coordinator and the quarterback are on the same page, they're clicking, the receivers are getting open, maybe they don't face the toughest defenses or just the, everything's working. At some point, whether it be two games in, three games in, four games in, somewhere in that rookie season, that quarterback is going to face a defensive coordinator and defensive personnel that are going to confuse him with the speed, the complexity of blitzes, of disguising coverages pre-snap to post-snap, that they're going to have to hold the ball a little bit longer. And to see how, like, I want to see how good they can be under pressure. And I think Lawrence, more than just a few times, has shown the ability to do crazy, like veteran-like things inside the pocket, drifting away from pressure like I was talking about, feeling a blitz, knowing where it makes sense for him to run, and then throw a strike 30 yards down the field on a corner route over a sinking outside corner in front of a safety in a too-deep look, stuff like that, ripping it down the seam with a blitzing linebacker coming right through the A-gap. But I do think there are a lot of times where he looks a little bit frenetic under pressure uh, that we saw in those last two college football playoffs against Ohio state when that Clemson offensive line got whooped a little bit and the year before against LSU that some of the passes over the middle are a little late. They're wobbly. He is hanging in repeatedly taking a lot of hits. That's like actually my one, um, kind of clear cut negative with Trevor Lawrence is that for as much as you can say, Hey, it's great that he's a tough kid that he wants to stay in and he will hang in and take hits. I don't know if I'm urban Meyer or if I was running the Jaguars, I would want my number one overall quarterback, number one overall pick this anointed player to be taking a ton of shots. And there were a couple hits in the ACC that Sean Wade hit in the 2020 
in January of 2020 in that semifinal game against Ohio State that Sean Wade got thrown out of the game after that it was like, man, is Trevor Lawrence going to get up? Like, is he going to have a serious concussion or a neck injury or a shoulder injury? He always got up, uh, but I think he has a tendency to kind of freeze under pressure at times, and that's when the accuracy, the footwork can kind of get a little bit haywire, the processing. I think from a clean pocket and when there's minimal pressure, his accuracy, his pocket navigation, and his processing are light years ahead of where they should have been for an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old quarterback. They are of NFL caliber, and they probably were that even in that special freshman season of 2018. But the pressure scares me a little bit. Uh, and I'll just get to right now, we're a few days into free agency. I love the signing of Marvin Jones. That's one of my favorite signings so far. Uh, a two-year deal, relatively cheap. He's older, but he's Great in contested catch situations. He can still get open. He was very reliable with the Cincinnati Bengals earlier in his career and was low-key a, a solid player in Detroit with Matthew Stafford. Uh, I really like that signing for them. They have DJ Chark, obviously. I love LaVisca Chenault last year. So the, the offensive skill positions, even right now, even if they don't do anything else and they certainly could uh, address that position in the draft, and I'll get to that later, but the offensive line right now, Cam Robinson, they franchise tagged him, the left tackle. Picked him in the second round a few years ago out of Alabama. He's just, he's not good. He's not someone that is normally hit with the franchise tag. I understand, and, and I tweeted that out a few days ago. A lot of people said, well, hey, they're getting a uh, you know rookie quarterback in here, new coaching staff. They probably just want a veteran presence there. But it's like, and they, yes, they have the money to do it. So whatever. And it's a one-year deal. I understand that, but if they're just going to roll out with Cam Robinson, if they're going to roll out Cam Robinson in week one, I think that is a very risky proposition because he just at really no point in his first couple of seasons in the NFL has been a good left tackle. So Andrew Norwell, big free agent a few years ago, has not lived up to that contract whatsoever. Still there. Brandon Linder is one of the better uh, centers in the NFL. AJ can former second round or third round pick uh, out of South Carolina. I remember scouting him and I actually kind of liked him. Not been very good. And Jawan Taylor played pretty well. The second round pick in 2019 in year two last season at right tackle. They have, you know, Ben Barch, Derwin Gray, Will Richardson, a 2018 fourth round pick, but that's not a great offensive line. And we saw, again, a lot of the times where Trevor Lawrence looked a little shaky after he would do ridiculous things in other games or other quarters. The times when his offensive line at Clemson that had a bunch of four and five stars on it kind of got beat up a little bit. That's when things were like, is this like you would have those moments like, okay, yeah, he's going to be the number one pick, but like, should he be performing like this against pressure? Like it, it wasn't always the best was when that offensive line didn't look so great. So I'm, a little concerned about that, but Jaguars have, they're going to pick Trevor Lawrence number one overall. They have another first round pick, two second rounders, two fourth rounders, two fifth rounders, two seventh rounders. So they could move up. They could, if they wanted to, they could use some of those extra late picks to move up and take a bunch of picks in the second round. That would be a good idea. Um, if, even though I'm not a huge proponent of trading up really at all in the draft, um, I would understand that. From that perspective, it's a good offensive tackle class. 
And with that second pick in the 20s in round one, there will probably be one of these left tackles available, whether it be Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, although I do think he's probably better and best suited at guard. Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, although I don't know. I mean, he played right tackle there. He's not a crazy athlete. He's just so technically sound and well-balanced and strong. I don't know if you want to pick him and then just to immediately replace Joan Taylor. And left tackles, Alex Leatherwood, I think, would make sense. I've mocked him there a bunch, even if that's the first pick in round two. Uh, Rashawn Slater will probably be gone by the time the Jaguars go on the clock. But even if they pick an offense a, a a left tackle if Christian Darasaw is there is it and I got to find out if it's Darasaw or Darasaw to me D-A-R-R would be Dar so I say Darasaw anyway I'm every draft season it gets to the point where I'm always just like watching film with like music playing or like silent and I'm not like listening or watching interviews for these players so a lot of like pronunciations I don't have down uh, by the time of the draft and I probably should I think he would be a tremendous pick in the first round for the Jaguars. But even if they do solidify that left tackle spot and let their first round or their second round pick compete with their franchise tag player, Cam Robinson in camp, they have other holes at those two guard spots. And I don't know if the right tackle position is completely locked down yet. So that scares me a little bit. And then to give you some numbers on that last year on Trevor Lawrence under pressure, he completed 40.4% of his passes at 6.51 yards per attempt with seven touchdowns and two picks. Those are good numbers, kind of. They're kind of mediocre compared to Zach Wilson was up to 48.8%, so almost nine percentage points higher. 8.61 yards per attempt with five touchdowns and one interception, so much higher yards per attempt, higher completion percentage than Trevor Lawrence's 40.4%. Justin Fields, and a lot of people have been concerned about how he performs under pressure, was a very close to Trevor Lawrence, 41.7% completion rate, 5.81 yards per attempt. So lower than Trevor Lawrence, but they're both kind of in the same realm. Four touchdowns, four picks. So that's a red flag if you're just looking at the numbers for Justin Fields. And then you look at Mac Jones, and I will say that this is probably inflated because of the skill position talent he had and how good that offensive line was. Under pressure, Mac Jones completed 56.7% of his throws, 9.9 yards per attempt with eight touchdowns and one pick. Like that yards per attempt figure, 9.9, like so many college quarterbacks would take that from a clean pocket, much less under pressure. So Trevor Lawrence had the lowest completion percentage, the second lowest yards per attempt, 6.51 yards per attempt. The seven touchdowns and two picks, I think, kind of indicates that, you know, under pressure, he still has the arm talent and the willingness to hang in, still mostly accurate in those situations to make those big-time throws. But the completion percentage and the yards per attempt kind of scared me a little bit. And then looking at his game log, uh, that in 2019, but early 2020 uh, against LSU in that national title game, 18 of 37, that's 48.6% completion for 234 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. And that was a game when you go back and watch that film, 
There was Caleb Von Chase on, on that defensive line. Tyler Shelvin, he's going to be picked in the top 100 most likely. Caleb Von Chase on went in the first round and really played well down the stretch for the Jaguars. There were a lot of benefits of NFL players on that defense, especially, well, I was going to say, especially in the front seven, but there was Christian Fulton, Derek Stingley. The other corner is going to be a first round pick. Uh, there was Grant Delpit who went in the second round of the Browns. Patrick queen went in the first round. Jacob Phillips got picked in the middle of the draft, the linebacker. So like that was a, a pretty much as close as you're going to get to an NFL defense at the college level. 48.6% completion. And I don't remember seeing like a bunch of drops. There were a lot of just misses from him. In the game four against Ohio State, remember Ohio State gets out to a big lead. Lawrence leads them back, really leans on his legs. 16 carries, 107 yards, one really long touchdown that showed how athletic he is. Um, but as a thrower, 18 of 33, which is 54.5% completion, 259 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. And then against Ohio State, which this is, I mean, I, I'm saying these statistics, but it just kind of shows how uh, statistics can kind of not give you the full indication of how a game went. Against Ohio State, 33 of 48, that's 68.8% completion. But a lot of that was when that game was out of reach and Ohio State was playing cover two and cover four and just letting anything underneath, not allowing anything over the top. He did throw for 400 yards two touchdowns and a pick, but there were some misses early in that game, wobbly throws similar to that LSU game the season before where you were like, what was that? Like, that's like truly in those moments you were like, that's the number. I mean, I felt this way. Like that's the number one overall pick, like the, the no questions asked best quarterback in this class. So pressure, I think matters more than anything else. And that's what I said with uh, Zach Wilson. And I think, the Jaguars still have a lot of work to do. I believe they will do a lot of work. Problem is the offensive line, the interior of the offensive line class is not very good. I could see um, Urban Meyer picking Wyatt Davis, a former Ohio State Buckeye. I, I would have to say that it wouldn't. I, I think Urban Meyer probably recruited him to Ohio State, or was you know certainly can reach back out to Ryan Day and get the lowdown on that player. Uh, I think early second round, that first pick in the second round would make a lot of sense, but they have holes. Like this is an offensive line that they didn't just sign Joe Tooney and uh, is it Tooney or Thooney? I always say Thooney. Um, they didn't sign Corey Lindsley. They didn't sign uh, Trent Williams. They didn't really sign anyone in free agency, established blockers. And we've seen recently that that is the best way to solidify your offensive line for your young quarterback. You know, yes, you can go into the draft and that's a cheaper way of doing it, but getting established blockers is a really good way to spend your money in free agency. And the Jaguars decided not to do that. And I don't, there's not really any marquee blockers unless I'm completely forgetting one that are still available at this point. So pressure matters more than anything else. Matt with the Zach Wilson podcast episode talked about like just going from BYU to the Apple, uh, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to have that problem. He's kind of going in the opposite direction that Clemson has become this super marquee college program. And the Jaguars don't have a, I mean, I, I think they have a good fan base and, and their fans that are there are super loyal, but there's not like an expectation with a uh, hundred years of tradition. And, you know, this is not the Steelers. This is not uh, even the Baltimore Ravens that are seemingly perennial contenders. So I think the pressure 
will be okay from that perspective, like moving cities. But he does have a lot to live up to. And and I, I do think he will be up for that because he was a very, very highly touted recruit, not just the number one overall recruit in the 2017 class, but just like, Hey, like he is or 2018, 2017, whatever it was. Um, it was like, this is the highest score that any high school recruit has like ever gotten in like the rivals in 24 seven era. And he lived up to that right away. So, but I will say he had T he had just us. Uh, they had a lot of really good players early on. Um, the offensive line was really good. Their defense was ferocious, was fantastic. So uh, he had early Travis Etienne. So obviously, so um, I think that helped. And I think with James Robinson, with the receivers I already mentioned, uh, the Jaguars do have a nice start up front um, or not up front, but in their position groups, skill position groups, but the offensive line scares me a little bit. Uh, and that's, the kind of the biggest thing that I can really foresee for things to go wrong with him, I guess more philosophically, um, I wonder if, and this is like, again, this is not really my area because I, I don't like to just throw these random like old school football guy thoughts out there, but I'll say this just so I'm not giving you one point and one point only there. It wouldn't shock me if there is, a little bit of a, let's call it a power struggle between Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence. That Urban Meyer is used to running the show of a program. And yes, tons of superstar players that have gone on to be first round picks, top five overall picks have played for him. But there was never really a quarterback that was that insanely hyped that almost got to be as big as Urban Meyer at that program. And and it's really hard for a quarterback who's there for two or three seasons to kind of become larger than the head coach that sticks around forever um, or for a very long time. But if things don't go well right away, I, I just wonder, and, and this is kind of going way out there because I think everything with that we've heard and read and seen with Trevor Lawrence does not indicate he's a diva or any of those negative things. Doesn't work hard, doesn't care about the game. But if things don't start so well, and there's certainly, there's probably more hype for Urban Meyer or just as much hype for Urban Meyer in Jacksonville as there is for Trevor Lawrence. If like there's a little bit of a power struggle that where Urban Meyer is, uh, pretty harsh on Trevor Lawrence right away and wants things done exactly his way and gets frustrated if his quarterback, a rookie, um, still very young prospect, isn't performing up to shoe in for offensive rookie of the year type caliber right away. So I think that is a little bit of a concern because, again, we, we saw what happened with Urban Meyer with the strength and conditioning coach how that kind of went up in flames right away that he hires this guy that was fired from Iowa after some pretty strong allegations against him. Uh, and it was like, why of all the people Urban Meyer knows in football, why would he hire that guy? And then like a week later, after tons of PR backlash, he fires the guy. And it was like, this was his first test and his first lesson. Like, Hey, you're not the czar uh, of this whole area and you're not bigger than the NFL 
you're not running a college program anymore. This is the NFL. So, um, and really I'm trying to think, and maybe I'm completely blanking on someone, but a lot of the past college coaches that have come to the NFL outside of Jim Harbaugh. And I will say when Jim Harbaugh came from Stanford, kind of similar to urban Meyer, great track record, offensive mind, uh, seemed like someone that certainly wanted to wield a lot of power. And the 49ers were really good for those three or four seasons, uh, that Jim Harbaugh was there. Uh, but outside of that, a lot of the college coaches, the big name college guys that have come to the NFL haven't really worked out. I, I don't know if it's because, uh, they're used to completely running the show and they have to delegate and they don't like doing that. And there's internal struggles between their GM and the director of college scouting, their quarterback. They want him to just run the system and uh, not do anything off script. I don't know. But like with Chip Kelly, um, I guess Matt Rule, we only know one season from him. But uh, a lot of the college quarter or the college head coaches haven't really worked out. So I, I think, and all of them, when they're going of the, in the last 10 to 15 years, even Nick Saban, obviously with the Dolphins, Bobby Petrino with the Falcons, when they come to the NFL, there's they're coming there for a reason. There is an insane amount of hype for them. They were super successful at the collegiate level. They're going to work out. They know college. They, they are going to know these players coming into the NFL. They're going to be progressive and install college style stuff to the NFL. Uh, and then ultimately those haven't really worked out. I mean, I guess early on Chip Kelly did have the Eagles team in the playoffs, but we know how that turned out from a personnel perspective and how terrible he turned that roster in about two seasons so I think pressure addressing the offensive line I think is vital because and I was really nitpicking with Zach Wilson in that episode and I'm really nitpicking here and it's tough because both Zach Wilson and certainly Trevor Lawrence it's hard to find like clear-cut flaws on their film but that's the one for Trevor Lawrence that I think he has High-level athleticism. I think he's a much better athlete than people are giving him credit for. High-level arm talent, meaning he can throw the football very hard when he needs to rip it through a tight window. He can throw it very far when he needs to. And this is where the arm talent part comes in instead of just arm strength. Throwing from off-platform, I think he's very good at that and can still throw it accurately. Everything that you would want from a quarterback prospect, he gives you pocket management, I, I said those in the beginning. He can improvise. He fits that modern day mold of today's quarterback. But there were a few times when Clemson was matched like skill position wise, where we saw a couple interceptions, uh, that Syracuse game early in 2019, he threw a couple interceptions against Louisville last year, almost 70% completion, but did throw two more picks there. Never had a three interception game in college, which is good. But there were times where you're where you're wondering uh, why was he standing in and why was he throwing off his back foot and how did he miss that wide open tight end down the seam that happened against uh, Ohio State in that semifinal game where there was early in the game it was a difficult throw but there was a tight end open for a sixty yard touchdown something like that. And instead of like moving away from pressure, he kind of like was did like a fadeaway throw. And there were times against LSU and overthrew it. So it like showed how impressive he was talent wise. But that 
not hitting on that. And there were a bunch, especially late in the LSU game when he completed under 50% of his passes last season, where like the ball was fluttering over the middle and you could tell his process was speed. was sped up. He had to make a decision quicker. The corners and the linebackers and the safeties were closing on the football a, a step quicker than they had been in the, in the sec. Um, and even against Ohio state in the game before that. So I, I think pressure and the presence of Urban Meyer are probably the two biggest concerns and could lead to Trevor Lawrence um, ultimately flopping in Jacksonville. And I'll go one step further. Never someone like I'm not someone that really believes in injury proneness. I think most injuries at the NFL level are like sheer misfortune and a lot like they're freak injuries a lot of the time. But like I said earlier, with Trevor Lawrence taking so many hits, uh, I mean, 6'6", 230, whatever he is, he's a little bit on the spindly side. I would hate to see four or six games into his rookie season that he has to miss like four or six games with an injured shoulder or a hurt ankle because he's just taking a lot of hits. That stunts development, of course. I mean, not that I don't think that Joe Burrow can come back from the torn ACL and be a good quarterback. But if the pressure is leading to him taking a lot of hits, I think obviously that ups the chances of him getting injured. And I think I said it about Zach Wilson too. It's true for every single young quarterback. Young quarterback shell shock is a legit thing. I think Sam Darnold experienced that in New York, although I I think he's just not that good of a quarterback. But when you start your NFL career and everything is happening in the blink of an eye when it was starting to slow down and it was relatively slow for you at the college level, when you're a top-tier quarterback that can make it to the NFL, and then you're getting pressured like 40, 50% of your dropbacks, I mean, I guess 50 would be a little high, but there's every year there's a few quarterbacks that are at like 40-something in the high 40s. 35 to 45% say, You've seen it with so many quarterbacks. I've seen it that you can tell like they're catching that shotgun snap and they're like, where's the pressure coming from? Oh, wait, I need to also read the route concepts and see how coverage is dictating where I should go with the football. So I think 90% of the time, Trevor Lawrence knows what to do with the football and he can get through his reads and he can move in the pocket. But those 10% of the times, it's not like, oh, he was kind of off just a little. If he could have done this a little bit differently, it would have been perfect. They're like 10% of the time. It's not good. So young quarterback shell shock, getting injured, the pressure that personnel on the offensive line that needs to be upgraded for the Jaguars and just the presence again of urban Meyer. All right. That concludes the quarterback conversation series. Clemson quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. That was how I think things could conceivably go wrong for him. I, I don't think they will. I think he's going to be a very good quarterback in the NFL, similar to Zach Wilson. Uh, but I just wanted to run those two top consensus quarterbacks in my number one and number two overall players through that little gamut, that little game, uh, to just give a little bit of a different perspective instead of just heaping praise on them for 35 minutes. All right, that'll do it for me today for... I guess not for Matthew Collar. He's not here. Uh, I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening to the Prospect Podcast.